I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 397 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that's coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, it is time for another Frogman Friday edition of First Class Fatherhood. Travis Lively joins me today. Travis is well known for his appearance on the popular Buds documentary that covered Class 234. He was a fan favorite of the documentary because of his positive attitude and his funny commentary. The documentary became even more popular when scenes from Buds Class 234 were shown at the beginning of the blockbuster movie Lone Survivor. Travis graduated as one of only about 25 men who made it through the world's most difficult military training. He went on to serve with the elite U.S. Navy SEAL teams. He has found success beyond his military career as a screenwriter. It is a tremendous honor for me to have him on the podcast. Travis Lively will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And my interview with Travis Lively was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you would like to watch the conversation between myself and the former Navy SEAL, please get over to my YouTube channel, First Class Fatherhood. Hit me with a subscribe. The link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, and next week I'm going to be hitting you guys with three fresh episodes, including episode 400, which will feature a frogman that I have been trying to schedule with for over two years. I finally got him. Follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace when I make that announcement to find out who it will be. Also next week I'll be joined by Hollywood actor Matt Walsh, who starred in Veep on HBO and many comedy movies such as The Hangover. On Wednesday, NFL Hall of Famer Rod Woodson will be here. Rod Woodson is on the list of the top 100 NFL players of all time. He's one of the greatest to ever put on the cleats. Don't miss out on that one. And guys, if you're enjoying the show, please consider hitting me with a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy listening to the show. It really goes a long way to help me out. And as always, guys, please help me spread the word about this podcast. Every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list, let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks. Family values rule. And every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to be right back with former Navy SEAL Travis Lively. I'm Alec Lace. And you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. Today's episode is being brought to you by Manscaped. And dads, 2020 has been a year of things happening that are completely out of your control. But there is one thing that you can control, and that is shaving that area that made you a dad in the first place. My sponsors over at Manscaped.com are here to remind you to do so. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is a premier electric trimmer that is waterproof with advanced skin-safe technology, so you never have to worry about scratching those love spuds while you're giving yourself a smooth shave. The Lawnmower 3.0 is included in the Perfect Package 3.0, and for a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package kit, you're going to get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. And let me tell you something right now, guys. The Anti-Chafing Cooling Boxer Briefs are the best pair of drawers I've ever put on. So what are you waiting for? Visit Manscaped.com. Use my promo code FATHER. You're going to save 20% off your order plus free shipping. That's 20% off your order plus get free shipping at Manscaped.com. Use the promo code FATHER and get rid of those short hairs in your short pants today. Joining me now, First Class Father, Travis Lively. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Alec, how we doing? Doing very well. Let's start just like this. How many kids do you have and how old are they? Five kids. <laughs> girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. My oldest daughter is 16. My son is 12. My daughter is 11. My son is uh, 7. And my youngest is 2. Wow! Yeah, you beat me out by one there. What type of uh, what, what type of sports activities are they all into? Uh, well, okay. So sports activity before before the pandemic, uh, the big thing around here was seemed to have been flag football. Uh, my oldest, she's kind of gotten away from the sport. She's more of a she's like a prodigal art student, legitimately. I'm not doing the proud father thing when I say that. She actually is very very good. Uh, the others, uh, my then my 12 year old son and my 11 year old daughter, actually. Uh, they were on the same flag football team, and whoever is better between the two of them, I'll let them sort that out. But then, and of course, my six-year-old son, he's uh, he's also into the flag football. They're not really old enough to get into the pads yet, um, but uh, I have a feeling for at least two of them that's probably around the corner. And then my yeah, two-year-old, she just beats up her her siblings for sport. <laughs> that's the fun job now do you get involved with coaching at all with the flag football or you enjoy all that stuff from the sideline uh you know what i i try to enjoy it from the sideline i'm i'm concerned that uh 
they they perform differently when when I'm directly involved. If I'm not involved and I'm just watching, they seem to they seem to do much better. And on top of that, to be perfectly honest with you, my schedule is is uh, so busy. I I'm cons- I'd be worried that if I took it on, I wouldn't have time to be at every practice. So one thing I can definitely make sure I do is I can definitely make sure I hit all the games as long as I'm on this side of the country. But uh, yeah, for, for coaching, at least at this stage for the flag football stuff, maybe when they, when they start ramping it up a little bit more, that's something I might look into. But right now I'm just a spectator. Yeah, it makes sense. All right, Travis, if you could, please just take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Oh, sure. Um, Originally from uh, Massachusetts, born, raised, educated uh, through college. Um, then um, t- spent about a year teaching high school. Uh, got restless, bored with that, and uh, joined the Navy on a whim. Literally just walking by one day, saw this dingy little strip mall. And in the, in the big glass door, the bottom frame, there was this thing said it said seals or something like that. And it was like four guys coming out of the water with green faces and, and holding guns. We've all seen the poster. And I don't know what came over me. I literally just walked in and I said, hey, I never, again, military was never on my mind. I walked in. I said, hey, tell me about that. And, of course, the recruiter doing his job, he looks at me. He goes, you look like a SEAL. And I'm so damn insecure. I'm like, yes, I do. Next thing you know, nine months later, I'm in Coronado getting the crap kicked out of me. I'm like, what did I do? (laughs) (laughs) So, no, I was in the Navy for about – 10, a little more than 10 years. And then um, I punched out and I went to work in aerospace. Um, that was, uh, uh, let's see, about, yeah, about 10, yeah, immediately following. I start, actually started on terminal leave. I never even took a day off. I, I turned in my uniform one day and I put on a tie. And next thing you know, I'm walking the halls of a, of a, of a building with respectable people in it. And I'm, I'm an HR nightmare just waiting to happen. I mean, oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't understand the rules or any of this stuff, and I'm just walking around still red-eyed and angry. But, uh, you know, over time, you calm down, you figure things out. But it work, the company I work for specializes in um, medium-altitude, long-endurance, like big drones, like the 15,000-pound ones. When there's a drone strike, that's usually our stuff that's doing it, that kind of stuff. So i did been doing that ever since, uh, and uh, 12 years, I think, something like that. And then I, at the same time, about five or six years ago, I – just one circumstance led to another, and I got into uh, screenwriting. And uh, apparently, I'm being told I had a knack for it. So I've been able to, I've written about 12, and the ones I put on the market, I've sold to either major production companies or to studios. And uh, I've got three or four projects that are in pre production right now, and a couple behind that in development. That as soon as the COVID 19 thing is up, everything is going into production. So it's a, uh, it's great because I feel like I'm, I'm able to constantly reinvent and just keep adding and, and pushing the Navy stuff further down my resume, just trying to be more complete, so to speak. Yeah, what, what an incredible career so far, Travis. And obviously, uh, I had a chance to watch you and as millions of people did in the documentary there. And I, I, I'm sure you're responsible for so many kids trying out for buds, thinking you made it look like it was so much simpler than I'm sure uh, it ended up being for a lot of guys that ended up getting there. But I, I love the documentary, and I know that um, uh, many people know you from that. Uh, but a, a lo- along this journey here, Travis, how old were you then when you became a dad for the first time? And how did becoming a father kind of change your perspective on life? I was 30 years old. 30 years old when I became a father. Waited a little bit. I was, you know, I wanted to, I still had a lot of stuff I wanted to do. My wife is 28, I believe. Yeah, so it's 30 years old, um, and it was... Uh, still in the teams. I was still in the teams, yeah. Um, still in the teams. Get matter of fact, I was getting ready to uh, go on deployment um, when we found out she was pregnant. And I actually, I had a really great, I had really great leadership in, in that platoon. And uh, they let me come home a month early to, make, uh, to see my daughter born. You know, I got, you know, make sure I was there in plenty of time to make that happen. So, uh, yeah, that was my, my, one Navy, my one Navy kid that was born at Balboa Hospital there in San Diego. And, of course, it was a girl. Uh, night, I don't know what it is, and, and I know you've talked to other team guys who have, do have boys or, or might have even had boys when they were in the Navy, but for whatever reason, like every single guy in our platoon who had kids over the period of like a five-year stretch, it was all girls. Everything, they call it the Frogman Curse, I think it's a blessing, but yeah, everyone just had girls. And then my wife, when she, when she was going to get the, uh, the ultrasound done and she found out it was a girl, 
she said the lady looked at her and was like, yeah, fighter pilots and seals for whatever. They all come in here and all their wives. It's, it's all daughters. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I, I, boy, I, I you usually got to get out to, to get a boy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, um, so what would you say here, Travis, are the top values that you've always hoped to instill in your kids as they grow up? Uh, honesty. Uh, I say, I tell them all the time, uh, and their kids, I, I love watching them finagle and figure things out in their minds. Like they think we don't know what they're doing. Or I ask them a question I already know the answer to, and they're like trying to come up with a creative way to say it. I let them go through that process because I like to see them develop that, you know, that creative thinking, so to speak. And then, of course, when they give me the wrong answer, I let them have it. But uh, just be honest. I don't. I don't care if you burn the house down. Be honest with me. I promise you, it's not going to be that bad. What's not going to be? You know, and these just it's kind of a life lesson. Uh, the one thing I will tell you that gets me every time that will fire me up with, with, the, with the kiddos, uh, and they don't do it very often, is disrespecting mom. There's a de- I don't know if you experienced this as a father, but I, they definitely talk to me differently than they talk to their mother. And when they don't think I'm around and they're not in the mood, and uh, I definitely hear it, then they hear me. And I tell them all the time, I'm like, you know, like a buzz instructor, I'm like, don't make me put the blue shirt on. I don't want to put the blue shirt on. And they know what that means. <laughs> but yeah. And, and the other thing is, and the other thing is uh, for me personally. Uh, so, you know, it's always being consistent, you know, uh, like, for example, they'll ask me something and I, I tell them, yes, we'll do that. Or no, we won't do that. And I'm like, well, when are we going to do it? I'm like, when I'm, when I have the time to do it, I promise you we'll get it done and do it. And I always keep my promises. And I've been very, very particular about that about always keeping my promises. My kids, no matter what, at the end of the day, when I'm long gone, they always will be able to say, dad always kept his promises. Good, bad, and different. He always kept his promises. Said he was going to do something, he did it. Um, I grew, when I grew up, my mother, uh, let's see, well, I was the oldest of three boys. We were one, two, and three. When my biological father, he ditched. He was gone. He was a musician. So off doing his thing, touring around. Uh, he never didn't pay child support. I've never met the guy as an adult, um, but then, you know, so my mom worked seven days a week. We had nothing. She worked seven days a week uh, just to stay off welfare. She uh, she hawked jewelry at one point to put heat in the house uh, when winter uh, was really, really cold. And this went on for a while, but she did such a good job that we, as little kids, really didn't have any idea that we didn't have any of those things. And then she ends up meeting a guy three or four years later, just a career bachelor, probably 10, he was 10 years older than she was, and just a super guy. I have nothing in common with this guy, except the fact that he really, I had a lot of respect for him. He was an amazing, he ended up, he ended up proposing to my mother, and when he proposed to her, he also said, if I'm going to marry you, I want to adopt these three boys, which at the time, I'm six or seven, I don't really appreciate what that means, but you look at, back at that. Like, think about this. you got a guy who's a career bachelor, hasn't, doesn't have any bills, die, pays for everything in cash. He's going to walk in. He's going to take on this lady who's got debt and three little boys, well, straight liabilities, and he's going to take on the whole package. And then I, through the years, so they got married, and I watched him through the years. He was, a, like I say, he was a truck driver. I never once in my life did I ever see, did I ever beat him out of bed in the morning. I, every morning I'd get up, even at the earliest, he was already up, had breakfast, was off doing his thing, or he was already at work. On the weekends, he was fixing our cars because we don't know how to do it, or he's doing something for us, and he was always doing something for somebody else. And at the time, it, I really took it for granted. And but now, looking once I became a dad, I look back and I'm like, oh, I get it. It's like when the first night, my you know, the day my daughter was born, and my wife's staying in the hospital, and and of course they let the baby come come to uh, let the baby stay with mom. I just slept with her on my chest that night, and it occurred to me. And I, and I was bare chested and it occurred to me, I'm like, if I even half sleep, roll over anything, this fragile little six pound baby is, you know, her entire life is in my hands right now. And it occurred to me in that moment that that's the way it is from now on. Everything I do, every move I make directly affects this child, you know, and I think it direct, it, from that, I look at everything I say, everything I do. And I would ask you a question. How many times when you were a kid that your father say something kind of off the cuff, didn't really occur to him anything he said, but it's stuck in your mind. There's certain things that you probably have vivid memories of your father where he would say something to you 
It could have been about a football game. It could have been about getting in trouble at school. It could have been about a girl. And he doesn't, he would never remember. You could bring it up to him years later. He would never remember saying it, but you, it stuck with you and, and, and you took it with you. And whether you did anything with it or whether it was just a vivid memory that was imprinted in you, you had it. You know what I'm talking about? A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I have a lot of those things from my dad and my, 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 both of my parents passed away before I had kids myself, before I had any kids. And so I bring a lot of those things now and I'll share a lot of those either sayings or things that I remember from him and, and I'll drop them like, you know, drop little bombs like that into my kids. And so hopefully they'll remember them and, and take them as it, they go. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So you know what I'm talking about? So so many things that he said through the years that were just so smart. I mean, this guy was a C student in high school. Uh, he was dyslexic, but he was the smartest guy I ever met in my life. Smartest guy I ever met in my life. And he would just drop these pearls of wisdom that he didn't even know were pearls of wisdom. And I remember them to this day. So I feel like I've graduated in one respect. I try to be very careful about the things I say to my kids because I never know of the things that I say what are the things that are going to stick with them? So I do my, I'm not perfect, uh, but I do my damnedest to really make sure everything is construed in a positive, if not positive, productive light. And that way they can make lemonade out of lemons, whatever it's going to be. You know what I mean? Uh, because yeah. I'm not always going to be there. We're not always going to be there for our kids, but I always want to make sure they, you know, a couple of things they can always remember. One, Dad always kept his prom- dad always keeps his promises. So now you can do that for your kids someday. One, always be respectful. Never disrespect your mother. But never disrespect adults. If you don't know those adults, it's sir, it's ma'am, it's please, it's thank you. I get parents coming back to me all the time. Your kids are so well behaved. And under my breath, I'm like, they better be, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but my kids are always getting invited places uh, because there's those are the kids that make good decisions. They're well behaved, you know. Uh, yeah. I'm waiting for the screw-ups because those are going to be the teachable moments. You know, those are going to be the fun stuff. But, but again, back to, to, to come full circle on my point, though, I try to articulate very carefully and almost manipulative in a manipulative fashion where the things I say are, can be a lesson that you can take away. Does that make sense? Yeah, very well said, Travis. And I think a lot of that is lacking right now. As I talk about all the time on my show that there's a fatherless crisis out there where so many kids are growing up without a father. And, and a big part of that is not having that disciplined peace or, or that, that fear of, hey, you know, uh, wait till your father comes home or, or something like that. So I think that's uh, it's crucial. And you said that, you know, your dad uh, took off w- when you were little. Did, did becoming a father, did that play into uh, the fact that you decided to leave the Navy? Or did you had plan on staying in 20 years and then being a father made you leave early? How did that work out? Oh, I, I definitely plan on staying at least 20 years. Um, uh, I, love the, I love being in the teams. I love the guys, you know, being around the camaraderie and stuff. But coming home from that third deployment, and my daughter Charlie was now three, and I remember getting off the plane and, and meeting there, and she just kind of looked at me like, who is this guy? And I'm like, I thought she would be at the age where she would have remembered me. But, you know, we were gone, uh, had an extra month overseas, and at that point, it took like three or four days. That moment right there, I just kind of, my heart kind of sank a little bit, right? Um, and... Uh, it took me three, it took three or four days for us to get kind of readjusted, reacquainted. I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore. And I actually had, <laughs> so as I was struggling and I was coming at the end of my enlistment and I struggled, I was struggling with what to do. And I actually had a Navy captain who was a, just a, the, in my mind, the guy was a seal God. He's this amazing guy. Um, I was talking about with him one day, just kind of offhanded. And he just kind of looks at me with this tired look on his face. And he was, he had been in for, ever. I think he was about to term out, right? Um, he was about to reach the end of how many years he could stay on active. He goes, he looks at me and he just kind of looks around. He goes, Travis, get out. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, I got two daughters. I don't even know them. I've got three ex-wives. I've got alimony going here. I've got, all I've got is a shadow box of metals. He says, I'm going to have to try and recoup any time I have with my now adult daughters. And then hopefully I can have a better relationship with their kids if they have kids someday, if they let me in. He goes, I'm like, oh, he goes, just something to think about. He goes, you, you can stay in and you can have a great career and everything, but you're going to miss so much. And I thought to myself, OK, well, first of all, it's kind of easy for a guy with 30 years to say because you've already been there and done it. But at the same time, he was a friend and he was it was very sage advice. He's like, you, you're college educated. You're you're you've got marketable skills. You're going to get hired. You're going to do well. He says, if you want to keep doing this fine, keep doing it and have fun doing it. But 
you know, at the same time, there's this whole other world that I know nothing about. I'm hoping you can tell me about it someday. And, yeah. and that's kind of what pushed me over the top. I was like, you know what? That's true. And then when I got out in like 07, uh, you know, I threw my resume out there. And it was before the, 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 the exodus of guys starting to punch out after, you know, after war and stuff like that. Uh, I did. I was hired within days. Um, I didn't even have to leave San Diego. And I ended up going to work for an incredible private company. And like I said, I'm still there today. Family-owned company that you actually feel like you're part of the family. And I got to, they hired some of the military guys. And I got to kind of recreate what I had there, hiring a couple of SEALs, a couple of pilots, Marines. And we kind of recreated a new uh, version of, of the camaraderie on the outside. Um, but what it allowed me to do was to make sure I, I kept my promises. And I'm able to make it to those flag football games. I'm able to make it to the soccer game. You know, I'm able to do like, you know, kids soccer, hurting cats. But you know what? I'm there. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm just glad I'm there. I'm able to make it to the awards assemblies. When my wife, you know, is sending me pictures overseas of the kids doing something. We'll get, I now get to stand in a picture with my kid when they're getting a certificate of achievement for something. That means something. You know, that I get to have forever. I wouldn't have had that if I had stayed in. Yeah, it's one of the many reasons, and, and thank you for your service, Travis. It's one of the many reasons why I love bringing on so many of the military guys. It, the sacrifices that you guys make, uh, not only for the love of your country and for your teammates, but for your families, it's just incredible that, that you have to spend so much time away and, and not even just spend time away, but put your life on the line while you do it. So uh, I, I definitely have so much respect for you and the entire military community. Well, I think most of the guys would tell you it's an honor and a guilty, pro and a guilty pleasure that we love to do it. But at the same time, there's another half of that, and that is, you know, my wife. I mean, I met her. You want to hear something funny? So I, a guy who was in my buds class who uh, did not end up making it, but we were good friends. We stayed friends. Uh, I ran into him the day we graduated from SEAL qualification training. And it was at, on base. I'm like, hey, buddy, we're having a party downtown. We got an open tablet, three grand. Uh, guy, I think you should come by. The guys would love to see you. And he says, well, I don't know. My wife and I are, are fighting. I just don't know what I'm going to do here. I'm like, well. Regardless, it's an open invitation. We'd love to have you. This dummy brings his sister to a team guy party. <laughs> That's where I met my wife. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, bring the lamb into the lion's den. But no, and, and we've been together, you know, ever since. But she, in the 18 years or 19 years, I forget now, God, uh, we've been together. Never once has she complained about my deployment schedule. Never once did she complain about my work schedule. Even now, I'll, I'll be writing, you know, and screenwriting takes a lot of time. I'll be in my office for eight or nine hours at a pop and she'll just slip in here and bring me food and step back out. And she's hand, she's wrangling the kids outside because she knows I'm on a deadline and this is, this is something I've always wanted to do. Oh, and it pays the bill. It pays the bills pretty well too. <laughs> but, but the point is though, Never once did she give me a hard time about not being available to do this or this or this. So because of that, I think subconsciously I'm going out of my way to make sure I can get things done in time. And I'm, I am making myself available as much as possible. She, I encourage her, go out anytime you want. Take a weekend, girls weekend, go do something, whatever, because she's been so ridiculously supportive of everything I'm doing. And then um, in, in handling the kids all at the same time. So whenever I get a chance, it's just easy for me. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I kept, for once in my life, I get to play the good guy. I, she's handled, <laughs> she's playing the catcher's mid. I'm just the backstop. You know, I'm like, hey, kids, uh, dad's in charge. I think we'll just go do pizza or whatever. Let's just go, let's go screw off and we'll go do go-karts. You know, where she's got to do all the hard stuff. I get to do all the hero stuff. It's but yeah, uh, that's awesome. And Travis, you got you 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 got you got me beat by one. I got four kids myself, and from my wife and I making the jump from two to three was probably I would say the most challenging transition as far as number of kids for us. What would you say it was from you uh, going from one all the way down to five? What was the most challenging one for you and your wife? I'm right next to you, brother. Uh, two to three, two to three, because we're still in a transition period. I okay, so we had my daughter when I was in the Navy. Three or uh, four years later, my son was born. I was now out. I'd been out for not even a year. And I joke, I had to get out to get a boy, right? So, <laughs> so my son was born, and then we had the two. We had, so here we are. We're like, we're, the, we're in California. We're still in San Diego. I'm like, oh, we got the, we got the girl four we're years later. We got the boy. Ah, the California family, we're solid. All of a sudden, she's like, God, I've got heartburn. I'm like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> and, the, you know, and next thing you know, our, our 18 months later, our other daughter was born. 
And at the time, I was still doing, I was traveling a lot for the, the job I do with this aerospace company. And most of that travel was in the Middle East, I mean, Iraq, Afghanistan, and some other places. Uh, so I'd be gone for months at a time. So my wife, we, we were moving houses. <laughs> my wife had two, she had a, a four-year-old. Uh, actually, it was probably, let's say she, my daughter was almost five. And my son was, uh, was two. And then she had a newborn strapped to her. And she must have looked, she did house hunting all by herself. She looked at about 150 houses all on her own before she found the right one. And she would just send me pictures. I'm like, yeah, that looks good. And she did it all. I didn't have to say or do anything, you know. Um, but we found that that was the, that transition. Because, again, you, and we've, we use the old football analogy of when you've got two, when you got one, you double team. When it's, you got two, you play man-to-man. When you're three, now you've moved on to zone, right? You're playing zone now. <laughs> so now <laughs> you've, got a, you've got that third one in there. And my third one, um, she's, uh, I love her to death, but she's just like me. And she is, uh, she is, uh, she's hell on wheels, you know? So, <laughs> so she was, uh, you know, the, she was, she was the start of our hellions. The, la- the, the last three were hellions, but, uh, but, uh, no, that, that, that transition, um, was probably the hardest. The, the fourth one, when the fourth one came, my oldest daughter was like 10 or 11. She actually could start helping out a little bit. And the one thing we found is once we hit number four, they all started kind of taking care of each other. And they all hang out together, and they they fight. They, they're they're. It's funny. They could be playing really nice one minute, and then my daughter's backhanding my son the next. You know, <laughs> and then one of my buddies told me, "Hey, plant potatoes, grow potatoes. What do you want, buddy?" So, but uh, I, you know, but again, I think what what definitely helped us though was the spacing um, was actually worked out pretty good. But having girl, boy, girl, boy, girl was actually better when it comes to damage in the house and destruction. Because the girls, the girls, girls will fight, right? They, they like boys will fight too. But when girls fight, um, it gets nasty, but our girls are far enough apart in age. I've got one that's 16 and one that's 11. They're not really, they don't really cross swords that much. The boys at the same time are also different. So you got, I've got 12 and I've got seven. They're both, they get that same distance in age. So they don't really fight as much as they play along. And then of course the two year old, everybody loves playing with her. So she's easy. And, and she's, of course, got the f- quickest development out of any of them because she has all the exposure to all of them. But how are your kids, though? Are you, you have boys, girls? What do you have? We have we had three boys. Then we got the girl on the oh, fourth God. try. Otherwise, we would have been still going. But, yeah, my, my oldest, my 14-year-old and my 9-year-old boy, they're, they're like, uh, on two different wavelengths. So, and then my guy in the middle is always trying to make the piece. So, uh, but they all, <laughs> like I say, they, they all, it, it's fun to watch them. Uh, all interact with my daughter and, and them get a chance to have a sister. And I think it's good and healthy for them as they start. Like I said, my oldest is starting to hit high school now. You're two years out ahead of me there. So we're just about to start getting into all this introduction to drugs, alcohol, and, and dating, of course. Now, I, I, fortunately, I got time before my daughter hits that scene. She's my youngest one. Your daughter is the first one into the fray there. How have you kind of handled anything when it comes to dealing with the dating scene with your daughter? Today's episode is being brought to you by Mellon. Mellon has designed a hat in collaboration with Navy SEAL Jeff Nichols and the Lone Survivor Foundation. This united hat is designed to bring us together as a nation, as a global community, and as neighbors. It is designed to inspire hope in one another and to work together towards positive outcomes. This united hat stands for getting things back on track and working together to get us there. United we stand. The Lone Survivor Foundation will be donating $10 for every Mellon United hat sold. The Lone Survivor Foundation provides a no-cost post-traumatic program to help U.S. service members, veterans, and their families recover from combat trauma. Visit Mellon or tap the link in today's show notes and rock your United Mellon hat today. United, we stand. years out ahead of me there so we're just about to start getting into all this introduction to drugs alcohol and, and dating of course now I, I fortunately i got time before my daughter hits that scene she's my youngest one your daughter is the first one into the fray there how have you kind of handled anything when it comes to dealing with the dating scene with your daughter okay so that's interesting um my daughter well i I'll, i got thrown a curveball uh, about two years ago my daughter again i love her to death she, she cracks me up. I'm in shaving and I knew there was like something different about my daughter and I'm in my, I'm in my room shaving one night and, um, just sitting here doing this whole thing. All of a sudden she comes in and my wife, we've seen it in the movies. It's so cliche. 
the wife comes in behind her like this, and my daughter looks at me like, Dad? I'm like, yeah. She goes, Dad, I'm gay. I'm like, I look at her, I go, yeah, I know. Just keep shaving. <laughs> she's like, <laughs> like it was a big, she's just angry, angry, brooding, the goth type at the t- at that point. I'm like, and we've always known. But but uh, I'm still figuring this one out, Alec. I, I don't know. She's because she's such a good kid. And she's got friends, but I, I'm, I can't differentiate. And I just trust her. She's a good kid. And it's a different dynamic that you and I didn't grow up with. So um, that's something that we're still working our way through. Uh, she's got a lot of girlfriends. I don't know which one she's dating, which one she's not. But they're all great kids, and they all hang out. And um, I just, you know, she's always shown me that she's a good kid. She'd be trusted to do the right thing. So I just let it roll, and we roll with the punches and see where we're going to go. Again, I'm, I'm, I, I only, at this point, I only know, my first one in the barrel, okay? I only know what I don't know at this point, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then my 12-year-old son, he's so busy playing Fortnite or whatever it is online with his buddies, especially now that COVID, I don't think he's even noticed girls yet, which I think that's probably going to change drastically in the next year. <laughs> and that one, I, I'm a little more equipped to deal with, uh, I think. But uh, again, there's these kids are exposed to so much more than you and I ever were. Um, yeah, I, let's be blunt. Okay, I remember there were kids who would like have, you know, nudie mags that were buried in someone's bushes or something, and everyone knew where they were. And oh, you go yeah. take a look. Now they've got direct access to who God knows what. Yeah, you just All Google the- naked Google naked woman, and you got thousands of pages and images and videos. More importantly, videos, videos. Yeah. And, and what concerns me about that? And I, I actually talked to I actually talked to a mother about this, a friend of mine, not too long ago. She's like, "What this this future? They don't know how to communicate with people or be intimate or be respectful because they're get they're taking their they don't talk about what their parents. It's too embarrassing. They're taking their cues." from videos and those videos aren't necessarily the things i want 12 year olds to be watching or 16 year olds for that matter now the one thing i will say about my 16 year old daughter her and my wife are like this she's she doesn't talk to you know obviously i i'm tight with her and i any moment i have to steal away with her to go for it go take a day and go somewhere and take her to lunch and i we just did a couple weeks ago we do those things but her the good thing is her and my wife are super tight so you like kind of like Gilmore Girls type. So I, I'm usually finding things out. Anything that's like sensitive, like dad's just like earmuffs kind of stuff. I usually hear about it after it's anywhere from five days to five weeks old. So it's a lot. <laughs> it's already settled down. So I, I you know, I, she thinks I can process it better. I don't think they give me enough credit. I think that I am pretty socially liberal. You know, I, I really am. But uh, they they don't they don't think they give me enough credit. But at the same time, hey, it's it's. I will get it like this. As long as my oldest is uh, very can, you know, has that candor with my wife, and they can have that relationship, I still win. That's good enough for me. And I'm here on standby to always keep my promises and make sure you don't disrespect your mom. And I've got your back no matter what it is. You know, the other problem, the other problem I have, I don't know if you if you have this problem. You know, fortunately, and you know, especially since leaving the Navy, I've I've been fortunate. I've done pretty well. I and I'm I'm blessed. My wife gets to stay home, and my kids don't go without anything. I mean, nothing. Like, literally, they, my son, they, my six-year-old, I, I look at I look on It's the Amazon look. He comes in my – I'll be in my, working in my office I mean, in here, and then he'll come in and he goes, Hey, Dad, have you seen this thing on TV? I'm like, no, I haven't, and I just set it up. Well, it's this, this toy, and it does this. I'm like, really? He's like, can you look it up online? <laughs> sure, buddy. So we look it up. I'm like, that's the one? And then – He's like, yeah, when he's pointing at it, but he's almost pointing at the purchase button. I'm like, okay, yeah, don't tell your mom. And then, of course, she knows right away because she sees all the, the, all the, the money transactions. But it's, uh, it's one of those things where uh, every once in a while they'll complain about something. Uh, my, my middle daughter one day was complaining about – I forget, it was something ridiculous. I said, hey, you remember that time, that thing you wanted? What was it? And you didn't get it? No, because it never happened, ever. <laughs> Dude, when we were kids, when we were kids, it was like the Sears catalog, and the toy section was like, I don't know, 20 pages big. Remember, like a four Yeah, you page circled catalog? what you wanted. You folded the page over, and those pages yeah, were yeah. worn out, and you never got the thing you wanted. We never <laughs> got it. It was like, you, you, there was like a, you know, the robotics page or the Atari, whatever it was. 
but you and you still but you got the next best thing and still that was okay these kids not only do they get what they want they get the upgraded version of it because i can't help myself they'll i'll go to the GameStop or we'll go to the apple store or whatever it is and my daughter who's the artist and and check her out check out chuck's art because uh she's winning national contests she just designed the logo for a an air force command the official logo uh, wow. She designed the logo for uh, um, a prehistoric museum, uh, the Western Science Museum out here in, in uh, California. The, all the, she's doing really well, but she wants, she needs like this, this iPad thing uh, for digital art or something. I'm like, we go on this, you know, as soon as you see these things, she wants this one that's about this big. I'm like, well, why don't you just get the big one? Of course, it's not <laughs> $1,000, but <laughs> whatever. Because <laughs> you, you so bad, you, you know, you get excited for them, you know, when you see it's something they want and you, Especially when they become teenagers and you're not, you don't get to be in, involved as much. And she's not going to hold my hand walking through the parking lot anymore. And, you know, you don't, you're not clued into everything that's going on. And she's not excited. I remember pulling into the driveway. I don't know how it, was for, how it is or was for you, but I remember I'd pull in, in the house coming home from work and three of my kids would be out there to greet me. You know? Now I'm yeah, I love like, that. Yeah, I'm down to like two. <laughs> the, others, <laughs> the others can't be bothered. And, and I get it. It's part of growing up, but. So anytime you can do something like that and be a part of their excitement, uh, even though I'm, I'm, I'm still weighing the, uh, the repercussions of that, is it a good thing or not? But I want them to get excited. I want to give them a little bit more and I get to be part of it just for a second. To me, that's worth everything. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Travis. It's funny what you said there, too. It's kind of hard to sneak like gifts and stuff like that for the kids, your wife, because it's always like, like, just like you, we're both linked up to the same account. <laughs> She'll get the email. Be like, or even if you try to take it out of the ATM, hey, what'd you take 300 out for? You know, or like whatever it is, you can't really sneak it anymore because we don't yes. deal with cash. Exactly. Exactly. What are you're at Best Buy? You told me you were going to you said you were taking the kids to Chick-fil-A. What, what, what's this thing? Yeah. I just got an alert that you just spent $350 at Best Buy. Oh, it's this really badass drone. And I don't know. He really liked it. I mean, and I just get the, uh-huh. And that's it. I, everything. When the words go down to one syllable, you know, you're in the shit. Yeah. <laughs> when the words, when her responses cut, get cut down to one syllable, I know I'm in trouble. So, but yeah, yeah. I, but you can't help it though. But and again, unfortunately it's such a different world now where we do, we were, we could make a toy out of anything. I mean, they they say kick the can. That was like two generations before us. But we were playing wiffle ball in the street. We were playing tackle football or muggle or whatever game was out there. We, we used were, to call it suicide where we throw the ball against the wall. Now I think I don't even think you could say that anymore. But like that was one of the games we would play. But we played all that stuff outside. And one of the things, Travis, I think that we're missing in this generation is like when we used to get together and play street ball, like with other kids from the neighborhood. But it was there was no no coaches, no referees, no parents. We all had to make the rules and settle the fights, pick the teams and and, and, and you know, where's the touchdown, make all the rules up. We did all that like on our own. We kind of got that problem solving skill set we developed like just on our own. And our kids aren't getting that. Tell, I'm glad you bring that up because, you know, we have a lot of friends in the neighborhood. Uh, some are other former SEAL uh, fathers like myself and and. Uh, Others are Marines, and, and they're the best. I love Marines, but the way they handle their kids. But with when they get all the kids together, what inevitably happens at every barbecue? You'll be sitting there with your buddies, and you'll be hanging out, and you'll just be shooting the breeze, and some kid comes up, such and such did, did this to me, right? Okay? And then all the fathers in my group that I look at sort it out. And we just – and we make them go, and we're, we literally – it's the closest we're going to get to how we handle things when we were kids. I will not – get involved in a kid dispute unless someone's about to get hurt i will not get involved i will watch it i will flinch half the time they have to sort it out they have to sort it out they have to learn those problem solving skills that you're talking about the my my own kids well they're brothers and sisters it's their god-given right to beat each other up right to a certain point if anyone gets thrown down the stairs then we have a problem but in the meantime sort out your problems but with their friends um you know what middle school is a terrible time Try to sort it out. Unless it gets out of control, then and, and then a parent has to step in. I really don't want to go there because we're seeing. I think we're seeing a direct result of it when you know people. You can't. You're not even allowed to have conversations anymore. I understand uh, the like what's going politically. What's going on? There's there's you know everything is very polarizing, but everyone's saying there's two sides. There's actually not. There's three sides. There's there's one side. There's the other side, and then there's then there's the truth in the middle. OK, uh, nobody's right in this, but really, ultimately, no one's real. No one's completely wrong either. But the fact that 
the guy, people who are fighting most about it are the same generation that were, did not learn those problem-solving skills. They didn't learn to sit down, and they're being coached on by people who have agendas on extreme ends of both others of, of the right, extreme right and left. Well, the one thing I always learn is the extreme of anything becomes its opposite. So it sucks. So we're seeing kids that instead of trying to debate or having a healthy debate, like debate clubs, things like that, instead they cover their ears and they scream at you. I'm like, my two-year-old does that. Yeah. And, and it, it just shows me that, again, I don't know if, if, it, if it happened in college campuses cause, or, or whether it was in their house, but I was in college from on campus from 92 to 96. Do you know, I did not know the political affiliation of any of my professors. Didn't know it. It never yeah, came not, up. Not, not the case today. And I would say today, most of the knowledge that people get come from a meme. Like, they, you know, they read it in a meme and that becomes like their education. Like, it's almost like an edge of meme-cation that they're getting here with all the stuff on social media. It's so true. And, and it's like we went from, you know, and I, I felt I grew up in a little tiny town, a population of 1,300 people called Irving, Massachusetts, Irving with an E. It doesn't even have a stoplight or a gas station. But I went to a regional. I went to a regional school as Western Mass. I went to a regional school. Had like five different towns that went to the same high school, and I still only had eighty three kids in my class. But no. with those eighty three kids, uh, the teachers are the 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 faculty. They did an incredible job. Present company excluded. Uh, they did an incredible job of teaching us how to think, not what to think. Okay, they were very good at being objective. Again, to this day, I, I know now if they were Democrats or Republicans, we're all adults and they'll give their opinions. But they were so professional, and they never gave you their opinions. And it just blows my mind. Like to this day, uh, you know, people I work with, I if I have an opinion, I like people say, "Are you a Republican or Democrat?" I say, "I'm I'm a pragmatist." Okay, um, I I uh, my shit filter is full. All right, like to, to quote Derek Van Orden. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, you know, go with what works best for everybody. I'm not always going to get my own way, but what works best for the, for the majority. That's kind of the way we're supposed to be here. And wherever that takes me, it takes me. But, you know, I'm a centrist, a pragmatist, whatever you want to call it, because no one side is always going to be right. And if you're, if you're, if you're that far in line, then you really need to check yourself. You know, um, it never occurred to me that you know, like things like gay marriage, things like that a couple of years ago when it, when it was finally legalized. It never occurred to me that it was wrong or it was illegal when, they were, when there was this big battle going on. So I actually had to stop and think about things like that. And then all of a sudden, I have, uh, I'm exposed to it as a father. You know, the, so you, what I've learned is that if I didn't have an opinion, I need to do my research, and whether it's about kids or anything else. But in, and as we go forward, I need to evolve. I constantly need to be evolving, you know, um, and figuring things out and evolving to a place that wh- where I can still effectively work with other people and raise my own family. Yeah, well said, Trav. And I, I honestly think that that's why the family unit is so important. I think the problems that we're having in our country right now, if they're going to get solved, it's going to start right at the dinner table and, and get families together communicating and hashing out these issues uh, with conversation, debate, and uh, not all this yelling and screaming that we're seeing uh, all over the place. Al, you're hitting the nail on the head, buddy. Uh, like I say, I got saved. I got saved. I was, I was, a, I was a terror. I'm sure if you have my mother on here, she'd probably bring out a grocery list of stuff that <laughs> everything I did wrong. And she'd be right on 90% of it. The other 10%, she just never caught me. Uh, but the, <laughs> and I was the oldest, I was a trailblazer, <laughs> right? But um, what I was going to say though is just in general, the, 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 fa- the family unit, you look at all these like serial killers or, or mass shooters, not serial killers, but mass shooters. And I'm not a psychological profile or anything like that. But there seems to be a common denominator. You know, the, these, these kids that are shooting up these schools, there's no father figure in the house or the father figure ditched out. And it's, you know, father doesn't have to live in the house to be, uh, to be a full-time dad. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. You know, you can even, sometimes it doesn't work out with parents. I respect that. Hell, I come from, I, I come from a community where the divorce rate is like 90%. I got right. lucky. All right. But some of the guys who, that are, that are active duty SEALs or, or retired SEALs that I know who are divorced, they're still full-time dads. They're still there every single day. And if not every day, they're talking every single day. And it takes more work when you don't live in the house. But, and they're still getting it done. And it's not just that there's Marines. I speak mostly about veterans because that's really a lot of who I hang out with. You know, especially in San Diego, it's going to be Navy and Marines. You know, and some Army types too. But 
that that nuclear family that you're talking about i don't know you know when we got away from it or someone decided that it wasn't necessary but we're i think what we're seeing today uh what's going on that is a direct result of that what's going on in the streets i mean like I, I can't tell you if I happen to hear that my kid was dressing up in black and going out and firebombing a courthouse or somebody's small business, I would literally grab them by the hair and drag them home. <laughs> I'm like, where are the parents involved with this stuff? Right yeah. Now? Yeah. yeah. I, I, it's amazing. I think I, in my opinion, it's the biggest social issue that we have in the country right now is this desolation of the, uh, of the family unit. So I, I think if we could just strengthen our family units, uh, bring God back into focus. I think so many of the issues that we're having right now would start to really dissolve pretty quickly. Whatever your God is, uh, whatever your absolute, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, whether you're Catholic, Christian, uh, Muslim, uh, Buddhist, there, you know, some of these other religions have incredible, they put incredible emphasis on the family unit and they, and they raise good kids. You know, uh, it, it, it blows my mind. I understand that people don't want to be religious. To full disclosure, I'm not super religious. I was raised Roman Catholic Mainly because of my grandmother, my you know the, the, the family I married into, uh, my fa- I mean father, family I was adopted into, and we was baptized. I was baptized as an older kid because you know we didn't when we were younger. And but um, but uh, here's the thing, and you don't necessarily. I I as a kid, I I found the Roman Catholic stuff to be boring because I was a kid, and it's very regimented. You go through the steps, and um, but as I got older, you know, and, and the church was one of those things. It's hour you had to hurry up and get out of the way on Sunday. But as you get older, you look back and you realize it wasn't so much the spiritual side as a young man that mattered, but the the rails that it puts you to ride on. You know, it gave you core values. You know, it gave you it taught you responsibility, it taught you honor, like the Navy values, honor, courage, commitment, all those things. It gave you a, a moral compass. So it doesn't necessarily have to be you don't have to take away the Bible from it. You don't have to be a Bible thumper or whatever it is. But. But it instilled because the Christian values that this country were founded on, it was done for a reason. It's lasted this long for a reason, you know. And and other religions can meld into that, but it's the core values. Core values are everything. It's the the structure that it gives us. And when we start taking away Christmas, and we start taking away all these holidays, and we start taking away our ability to, wow, I don't even know exactly. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, religion, if for nothing, if nothing else, it gives us a framework in which we can hang our own lives on. Yeah, well said. Yeah, I agree, Travis. And, and you know, on that, la- last thing I'm going to hit you with here, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening? Keep an open mind. Uh, keep an open mind. Be flexible. And really, especially for the new dad, she, she owns your, your wife. Uh, let me back up. I believe, you know, dads really kind of, it's kind of like the Spartan rules, you know, where Spartans, the dads get the kids at what, six or seven years old? I forget what it was. But the, the kid belongs to mom for that first critical year or two. Yeah, you're there to help out, change diapers, rock the baby back to sleep, midnight feeding, all those kinds of things. Uh, but just be there, be flexible, be ready to, and, and literally just, if, just watch how your kid grows, find out how your kid is wired as you get older. And learn how to play to that. Don't try to mold your kid into you. Just little, you know, instill your values in that in that individual. But little, just kind of in watch your child, watch how their how their personality goes, so that way you can you can be an understanding father. You can be have empathy. I think empathy is probably the greatest tool that I can bring to any situation with my kids. Good, bad, indifferent. You know, um, when you bring when. On top of the empathy, when you, like I say, you bring in, if you have empathy and you have the core values that we were talking about, the, you know, the, you show them honor, always lead by example. I don't, my children, I, this is important in the sense of, I, if I bring my kids into work, which is a high security environment, they see me, when I talk to the custodian, they see me talking, I say, hello, sir. They see me talk to the security guard, hello, sir. They see me talk to the CEO, hello, sir. Anytime we're out in public, anytime I interact with people, I give people the utmost respect. One, because they deserve it until they give me a reason not they 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 uh, they give me a reason not to respect them. But two, I'm setting an example for my children. And the one thing I've noticed is if I'm always setting that example, then they're they I, my kids end up they they start mimicking me, and that's how they carry themselves in public. And my kids stand up straight. They call people sir. They call them ma'am. And and I'm always friendly, even when I'm not in the mood to be friendly. I'm always friendly because if, the fact that I'm not in a good mood is not that person's fault. And then we'll get in the car sometimes afterward, and I'll say, "You see that right there? That part, you know? Well, Dad, why'd you say hello to that person? I'm like, well, why not?" Why not? That they're they're that's a good person, and 
like we talked about with the imprinting or the, the things that will remember. You never know what you're, how you're going to be able to affect someone's life. And that conversation you just had might be something they take with them for the rest of their lives. So if it's up to me, it's going to be a, it's going to be a good one. You know, does that make sense? I, I know I'm yeah. kind of jumping around a little bit because I, and the reason I'm jumping around is I've got kids from two to 16. So I'm <laughs> trying to, I'm covering, I'm in every one of those children. I treat them differently and I, and they struggle with this. I treat them according to their age. So I might be getting on one of them what they perceive to be really hard, but his sister who's younger than him, I didn't get on her hard for the exact same thing. I'm like, you're different ages. You've got to handle them differently. I can't treat my 16 year old the same way I treat my six year old, you know? So they're, they have a harder time understanding that it's that empathy thing. So I'm, I'm always trying to tailor my approach chronologically. <laughs> so I, and here's the thing, dude, my 16 year old, I'll, she's already gone. I'll, I'll get her psychologically. Uh, I'm not cool. I'm a dork. You know, I'm, me and my friends are disappearing. You're, you know, God, dad, you're embarrassing. But I believe, I firmly believe, and I'll leave you with this. We have our kids until they're about age 12. Mom and dad, they get to raise their kids to about, nah, probably 13. Then they hit middle school. Then their friends take over. In the meantime, we've had till age 12 to teach them everything we want to teach them. The rights, the wrongs, the do's, the don'ts. And then we just have the opportunity to put bumper pads on them. And then just kind of gently push them forward and encourage them, get them rolling along. Because at that point, it's, it's, their friends are the most important thing, right? So we just have to hope that, you know, the, the stuff that we've instilled them, we've done it the right way. And they come out the other side. And we get them back when they're like 17 or 18, from what I hear. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Well, listen, I, I love the message. This has been an honor for me. I got to say, Travis Lively, you're a first-class father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here. Oh, on first class hey, father. brother, anytime, man. It's great to talk to you. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Travis Lively for giving me a few minutes of his time here. That was so much fun and just an honor to have him on the podcast. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me a DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love to read your feedback. Lock it in. Next week, I will be dropping my 400th episode of First Class Fatherhood. I have got a Navy SEAL that I've been trying to schedule with for over two years. Find out who that is. I think you may have an idea. Follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace to find out who. Also next week, Hollywood actor Matt Walsh and NFL Hall of Famer Rod Woodson will be on the podcast. All right, that's all I got for you guys today. I'm Alec Lace. Thank you for listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers. Charlie.